1: this light was shining over my shoulders.
2: I began to see a small, bright, brilliant glow that got bigger and bigger and bigger.
1: And it's the brightest thing you can imagine, but I could look at it. And I never, ever wanted to leave.
2: 64.6%
0: of near-death experiencers describe an unearthly, beautiful, mystical light They feel overwhelming love. It's sort of like a million times a million of any love they ever felt on Earth. They did see the magnificence of just the
2: light shining forth in everything, bringing life to everything.
1: And the light was not just something you would see. This was really a light born out of love.
0: Today, we're talking about the God of light and love. And have you ever thought about how much human beings crave love? I mean, just think about the millions and millions of love songs written over the centuries. Think about how relationships and love motivate most of what we do. And yet, there's a painfulness about love on planet Earth, right? I mean, if there weren't, we wouldn't even have country western music. We wouldn't have breakup songs. We wouldn't have any Taylor Swift songs, would we? We also wouldn't have around a 50% divorce rate. Now, there's something strange about this craving for love. We have to be loved and known and accepted, and yet... There's this universal human struggle to give and receive love. Why is that? Well, C.S. Lewis, an Oxford scholar, once said that creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger, and that's because there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, and that's because there's such a thing as water. And C.S. Lewis, he says this, If I find in myself a desire that no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You know what? If our deepest craving, our deepest desire is to be unconditionally loved and known and accepted, and that never gets fully satisfied on this planet, it's because I was made, you were made for another world. So over the last 30 years, There have been tens of thousands of documented cases of near-death experiences all across the globe. And this is where people have died and then were resuscitated by modern medicine. And they've come back talking about this God of light and love, a God who loves them with an unconditional love and knows them better than anybody. And in this God's presence, they say things like, "I I felt like I was loved unconditionally. And I felt like I was home, finally home. And consistently, they describe God as a God of light and love. But you know what? This is really nothing new. This is not unique to near-death experiences recorded over the past 50 years. God has been revealing himself as a God of light and love for over 4,000 years. As long as there's been written human history, God has wanted to be known. And for those who pay attention to that craving deep inside of them, for those who really seek their creator, he can be found. God has been revealing the truth about himself to us for thousands of years through the Jewish prophets in the Old Testament and through Jesus and his disciples in the New Testament. And modern science through these near-death experiences is confirming what God has always revealed in the Bible. So first, all across the globe... NDERs, those who have had near-death experiences, say that God is light. Well, all the way back in 1500 BC, God appeared to Moses as this brilliant light in a bush that wouldn't burn up. And then in about 600 BC, Ezekiel, a Jewish prophet, has this vision of heaven and he sees God. It says, high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire. And that from there down, he looked like fire. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. You see, the Jewish prophets saw the same brilliant God of light who revealed himself as Yahweh. And he sometimes appears as this brilliant man of light. In fact, Daniel, a Jewish prophet living in Babylon, this is modern day Iraq, in about 450 BC, he writes this. On April 23rd, okay, that's a modern translation. That makes it our equivalent for today. On April 23rd, as I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning and his eyes flamed like torches. His arms and feet shone like polished bronze and his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. You see, this God of light has actually been revealing himself for thousands of years before many of the world's religions were even formed, which most were not formed until around 500 BC. And yet all the way back in 2000 BC, God says to Abraham, Abraham, through you and your wife, Sarah, I'm going to create a nation, the Jewish nation, to be a blessing to all the nations. How? Through this Jewish Messiah, who God said would come to die and pay for the sins of all the people. And all this was foretold by the Jewish prophets, like Isaiah writing in 680 BC. Isaiah 9, 1 to 6 says this, There will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is a Jewish monotheistic society and yet here The one true God says that he will reveal himself as a child, as a son, and come to Galilee. Wow. Well, Jesus lived and taught in Galilee. And he said things again and again like this. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Jesus' disciples said at one point he was up on a mountain and he was transfigured and became more brilliant than the sun. And John, one of Jesus' disciples, claims he saw Jesus risen from the dead. And in Revelation, he writes this. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. You now, what's amazing is this is the same God people are experiencing all over the globe when they had these near-death experiences. Like Simran in India, who died in a bus crash. Okay, he says this, then a brilliant light appeared, which had a soft male voice that said, you will leave everything behind your loved ones, your hard-earned awards, money, even your clothes. You will come to me empty-handed. The light also gave me an important message and told me to remember it. The accident rendered me disabled. To this day, he says, when people see me smiling, they wonder why I have a glow on my face. It's the glow of God. I feel very homesick. I have to live this life and obey the message until he calls me back. He only had love for me. It's very hard, but I'm trying my best to spread the love and peace God has for all of us. Now think about that. This is incredibly strong evidence. I mean, there have been studies done between people who've had near-death experiences in India and people who've had near-death experiences in the United States. And they found that Indians didn't experience the God or the gods of the Vedas, their scriptures. They experienced the God of the Bible people all around the world are experiencing the exact same God. It's kind of like Paul wrote in Romans 10, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. There's no difference in nationalities or cultures. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, even atheists, people who didn't expect to find anything on the other side, cried out to Jesus and found him. Howard Storm was an atheist college professor who by his own admission had denied God completely, lived just for himself. He said he wasn't a good husband. He wasn't a good father. He said he basically lived to build his own kingdom. Well, he was taking a tour of France when his duodenum ruptured there in France in his stomach and he he couldn't get surgery in time. He died in the hospital. And at first, he had a hellish NDE, which we're going to talk about. We're going to come back to that, talk about it more in depth in week six. But Howard found himself in this outer darkness, just like Jesus described. And by the way, for these people, their experience is as real today as it was back then. So it's very emotional for them still. And I want you to listen to what Howard discovered about this God of love and mercy and light when he cried out to him. Check this out.
2: There's no hope, there's no way out. And I, I am in the um, bottom of the pit of hopelessness and despair and self-pity, whatever, in that this memory comes of myself as a little boy sitting in a Sunday school classroom singing, Jesus Loves Me. And I could see myself vividly so innocent, so sweet, so naive, simple. And feeling what I felt when I was like a little boy, like maybe eight or nine years old or whatever. Jesus loves me, this I know. That's what I kept hearing over and over again. But I had put all and put that all away behind me, beside me, and denied it all and mocked it all. And um and now all of a sudden it was all i had i had nothing else i'm I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel Mm. of what might be possible so um, i thought about that too and i thought he why would he care about me even if he is why would he care he must hate me i'm so sorry and i thought enough of this i'm done i don't have anything else jesus please save me And when I said that, I saw light, tiny little speck of light, and it very rapidly got very bright and came over me. And I saw out of the light, hands and arms emerge out of this impossibly beautiful white light. I was experiencing a love that is beyond, far beyond words of life. I've never been able to articulate it, but I can say that if I took all my experience of love in my entire life and could condense it into a moment, it still wouldn't begin to measure up to the intensity of this love that I was feeling. And those arms went on me and healed me. They went behind my back and he picked me up as if it was no effort on his part. He just gently picked me up and held me up against him real tight, up against his chest. So there I am with my arms around him, his arms around me, and I am bawling like a baby, and I am slobbering and snotting and drooling with my head buried in his chest, and he starts to rub my back. Like, he wasn't saying there, there, but it was just like, like a mom or a dad with a child. And I knew, I don't, I don't know how I knew, but I knew that he loved me very much just the way I was. Later in this experience, we did a life review and he made perfectly clear, clear what he did not like. And I can safely say despised, hated, mm-hmm. detested about my, what I had done with my life, but he always loved me. And the reason why he didn't love what I did was because it detracted from who I was meant to be.
0: You know, no matter what you have done, that's true for you too. God may not like what you've done, what I've done, but he loves you unconditionally. And just stop and think about that. I mean, what could motivate this tenured professor to change his entire life after he had this experience in France? I mean, two years later, after that event, he left his tenured professorship To become a Christian pastor. His wife, now his ex-wife, she's still an atheist. She divorced him because she thinks he's crazy. But what could motivate that? Only this God of unbelievable love. NDEers say it, but it's what the Bible has said all along. And all around the globe, when people experience this God of love and light, they say this, God loved me with a love beyond word. Now, I realize Christians might hear this and think, well, why would Hindus or Buddhists or people who don't even believe in Jesus experience the God of the Bible? Well, the answer is simple. It's because he loves them just as much as he loves you. 500 times in the Bible, God speaks to all the nations. Everything he's always done through Jesus was for all people of all nations. For God so loved the world, the Bible says. But another important thing to keep in mind, is it just because people experience this God of light and love does not mean that they are right with God. Case in point would be Saul. You know, the guy who later became the Apostle Paul. He started out as a Jesus hater. He was killing Christians. When on the Damascus Road, it says this in Acts 9. A light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Now notice something here. This God of light and love who turns out to be Jesus doesn't tell Paul what to believe. He doesn't explain the gospel to him. He simply tells him, you will be told what to do. And then Jesus leads this other man, Ananias, to come to Paul and explain all that Jesus had done for Paul, that Jesus died to pay for Paul's sins, that he could be forgiven, that he could be set right with God. But Jesus doesn't tell him that. And so Paul still has a choice. Folks, this is very important. Relationship with God is a gift. It's free. Heaven is a free gift received by faith and faith alone. And, you know, next week we're going to talk about the life review and how what we do in life really matters. But what we do in life does not earn us a relationship with God. That's free for anybody who wants it. But you have to choose to put your faith in Jesus as the one who forgives and gives the gift of eternal life. So Paul still had to choose. And of course he did. He chose God. He chose Jesus. And NDEers who see this God of light and love, they still have a choice of whether or not they're going to trust in Jesus. So let me ask you, have you made that choice in your life? You know, have you accepted God's gift of forgiveness and eternal life that he paid for through Jesus? God is a holy, just, and righteous God. And so a price had to be paid for your sins. Well, the good news is God's God's justice and God's unconditional love, they meet on the cross. (laughs) That's where Jesus paid the price for all mankind to make a way so that we can all be forgiven by faith in him. You know, Howard and many others seem to have a second chance, but don't think we're all going to have a second chance because in near-death experiences, they talk about a border or a boundary. See, they knew they couldn't cross this boundary and still come back to earth which means once you cross that border, that boundary, you enter true eternity. And at that point, your choices are final, eternalized. So don't wait to choose to put your faith in Jesus. I mean, these people went right up to the edge, either final separation from God or final togetherness with God. You don't wanna try that because there are no guarantees. Bible says now is the time. You know, in Revelation 1, 7, It says, everyone will see him, even those who pierced him, even those who nailed Jesus to the cross are going to see him. So it shouldn't surprise us that people see him who don't yet know who he is. Now, many come back and they discover who he is, like Paul, like Howard, but others don't. But regardless, God is love, people. It's what he's been revealing all along. All the way back in Moses' day, 3,500 years ago, we read this. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. See, that's what Howard experienced, this unfailing love. He didn't excuse Howard's bad actions. Instead, he paid for them on the cross. The same is true for you. Jesus has paid for your sins. But you have to receive that payment personally by putting your faith in him. And when you do, God fills you with his spirit and you can begin to reach the full potential you were made to be, who you were made to be in life. Do you realize how much God loves you? and that you can't become the person he intended you to be apart from a relationship with God, who's the source of love. See, the Bible says we love because he first loved us. And Jesus, you know, he demonstrated God's great love when he came to this earth. Speaking to Nicodemus, a Pharisee, in John chapter three, Jesus said, the son of man, referring to himself, must be lifted up. Okay, that's a reference to being lifted up on the cross, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because we all know we've turned away from God. We have done wrong. You know, Jesus's love for you is something he wants you to experience right now. I mean, you don't have to wait for heaven. That's why on his last night here on earth in John 15, Jesus said, I have loved you even as the father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Dean Braxton had kidney stones that ended up turning sepsis. His heart stopped beating. He died for one hour and 45 minutes. And he has medical proof of that. And yet he came back to speak of the joy of experiencing God's unfailing love. Watch this.
3: I came in on grass. There was flowers around, Um, there were animals around. It's almost like I was gliding like uh, on a people mover that you have in the airport or something like that, you know, and I I remember uh, going up to the trees and then the trees just started opening up for me. And there was a pathway that was laid before me and I just went on that pathway. And as I went through the forest, it seemed like everything in the forest was saying to me, he's going to see the king, he's going to see the king. And when I got on the other side of the forest, that's when I saw Jesus Christ. He was real bright. You know, um, you know, brighter than any light I've ever seen, even the sun. And probably what amazed me is I could look at him because I was used to, if I look, tried to look at the sun or some bright light, my eyes couldn't handle it. But I could see right to him, and he was glowing. And when I went up to him, I, I didn't, I just didn't look at him in the face. I bowed before him, and I looked at his feet. And he was standing in a field, and, and before him, I don't know if it was thousands or millions of billions of, of what I call beings. They were uh, creations of God. Um, they were some were angels and some were uh, people that had been on this planet Earth. And I looked at his feet and when I looked at his feet, you know, all I could think of, you know, you did this for me. I was so grateful, so happy, you know, so joyful that he would do what he did so I could be there. And after I said, you did this for me, the next words that came out of my mouth were thank you, 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 And then the next thing I realized is I was looking at his feet and his feet were a bronze kind of color, almost like a metal color, but there was more than that. It was more beautiful than you can imagine. And I remember thinking to myself, his feet love me and it was like I was literally receiving the fullness of the love of God through the feet of Jesus. And at that moment, I didn't want to look at anything else. I did look at the rest of him, but at that moment, I just wanted to receive that love that was coming through his feet. And I remember then started looking up and every portion of him was loving me. His entire being loved me. And what got me was he only loved me. I knew he loved others, but it seemed like he only loved me. He kind of just um, said things to me telepathically and all kinds of stuff, more than I I could even express. One of the things I really uh, um, probably came across really is how much He really loves people on this planet, which has put a drive in me to do what I'm doing right now. Um, The other thing that took place is for some reason I was there when we were all called to come around the throne of God where the Father was and give Him praise. Even though they were separate, they were one. And it's hard to describe that um, to anybody is because it's like we're so used to, especially in, in the ministry, you know, we're looking at the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we say they're, they're one God, but in three different personalities. No, they're one, period, you know. And even though I looked at Jesus and I looked at the Father over here, they were still one, you know. It was not no separation at all to me you know, and so that even changed how I look at things. And that was a great experience to go through that, to see everything in Heaven come around that throne and literally r- lift our voices and love to Him to tell Him how much we love Him and how He received each and every song as though I was the only one or the next person next to me was the only one singing to Him. You know, it wasn't like He looked at it as a collective group coming together and singing to Him. He looked at it as you coming to sing to me. And that was a great experience.
0: I mean, think about that. It's you. God sees you. And in his presence, you will feel like you're the only one he loves. It's so personal to him. So God is light. God is love. And God is personal. People don't experience an impersonal force. They experience a personal God. And this is being reported all over the globe. Now just think about that. Our personalities, our humor, our creativity, our love for adventure, our every pleasure, that all comes from God. You know, we are created in His image, not the other way around. So God is even more personal than we are, which means God knows you better than you know yourself. I mean, God is like brother, sister, father, mother, spouse, lover, best friend, all in one which may sound weird, but that's just because we have so distorted the image of God to make him less personal than we are. But God has revealed himself with personality for thousands of years. You know, God expresses how he has feelings. God says to Jeremiah, the prophet who wrote this around 400 to 500 BC, I thought to myself, I would love to treat you as my own children. I wanted nothing more than to give you this beautiful land, the finest possession in the world. I look forward to you calling me father. And I wanted you never to turn from me. I mean, do you hear the longing in God's heart here? But you have been unfaithful to me like a faithless wife who leaves her husband. Boy, can you sense the heartache that God feels here? You know, as we'll see next week in his life review, Howard Storm experienced these emotions, these feelings of God, the joy of God and the pain of God. And when we do things out of a motive to love God and others, God feels joy. But when we turn from him and hurt one another, God feels pain. God is personal, which means that God gets you, right? He gets your humor, you know? I mean, God laughs at your jokes. We might not get them, but he gets them. God understands your struggles, your hardships, your temptations. Do you realize you can go to him with all of that? It says that in Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 4. It says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. It was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. He, Jesus, understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do. Yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Boy, isn't that an amazing promise right there? It's true. God understands you. He understands your struggles, your weaknesses, your temptations, the hardships, and he merged himself with his creation out of love because he wants to help us. He wants to help you through it. I mean, do you talk to him about everything, even the temptations, even the struggles? Let him help you through it. God is personal. He's so personal that he enjoys life with us. It says in Isaiah 62, God will rejoice over you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. Think about that. God rejoices when you enjoy life. And especially when you include him in the experience, you know, I enjoy playing music. And sometimes when I'm playing music on my bass, I I feel an overwhelming sense of inner joy. And there have been moments, there have been times when I have just sensed God's presence in those moments. God created music, so it just makes sense that he would delight in it. But God, he delights in what I'm delighting in. See, God loves what you love. Isn't that a cool thought? That means God loves Shanghai Express, which just makes sense since it's the best Chinese food around, but but he also loves it simply because I love it. When I eat wonton soup, I sense God's pleasure. God delights in what we delight in. He's personal. He enjoys doing life with us. I want you to listen to Heidi's story. See, Heidi had always believed in God, despite a very rough upbringing. And when she had her near-death experience, she discovered that the God she believed in and Jesus were one. And listen to what they did together, and especially how much he enjoyed it.
1: I grew up in Council of Iowa in a Jewish family. My dad had a mantra, Jesus Christ is the biggest hoax ever perpetrated on mankind. Christians are idiots for having hope. Your life has less significance than the smallest speck of dust in this infinite universe. We were in an accident where another horse ran into my horse. She reared up, flipped over backwards with me on her back and fell across my body. As she hit my chest, I immediately left my body. I was up 30, 40 feet in the air, I just left. I knew I was dead. And as I was up there, I noticed that even though it was a cloudy day, this light was shining over my shoulders. There was a light over my shoulders and it was illuminating everything in front of me. And I realized there was a person standing right there and he moved forward and he was standing. We were up in the air, but we were standing. And uh, he is standing right next to me, and I looked at him, and he looked at me, and it's like, oh Jesus, oh hey, it's <laughs> like, how you doing? I knew that I had known him my entire life. It was not a surprise. I was not shocked. I was not thinking, what is a nice Jewish girl like me seeing Jesus? Why am I seeing Jesus? No, I knew this man. I knew him, and um, he. <sighs> He was smiling at me. We were talking, but I mean, it's not like my mouth was moving, but I know we were talking. And he very quickly showed me my life. I didn't have a whole lot to see because really and truly I was a good kid. And he, he, uh, I saw him from the time I was formed in my mother's womb. He had been with me. He had always been with me all my life. And um, you know, just when I used to talk to God at night when I was a little kid he'd been there, that he'd been there sitting by my bed. I saw that. After this life review, and I was no longer really looking at the ground, he took my hand and we flew. We surfed. We, I didn't go through a tunnel. A lot of people, I've heard people say they go went through a tunnel. No tunnel. It was like we had this wave of light under our feet. And I know my feet were bare because I could feel the wave of light under my feet. And it was pushing us forward. And we were holding hands and flying like Superman in Lois Lane. So, faster and faster and faster, I saw a light. And it was getting closer and closer. And it was, it's a living light. And it's the brightest thing you can imagine. But I could look at it and you would think it would burn you, but it doesn't. It's perfect, it's blemishless. And it takes up, that light took up my entire field of vision. It was infinite in its scope. But it was alive, and that light was love. And Jesus took me directly into the light. And the next thing I knew, I find found myself sitting on God's lap. And I have a granddaughter, a two-year-old granddaughter. And you know, if she needs comforting or she wants to be held, she, she'll sit on my lap and bury her her face in my chest and I'll put my arms around her and she'll, she'll have her arms around me. That's what I was doing. I was like a little kid. I was sitting on God's lap and I buried my face against his chest and I put my arms around him and he had his arms around me and I never ever wanted to leave. I didn't wanna leave. I just wanted to sit there forever and be held by God. And it's, I can't explain how God can be a light and God can be a man and God can be love. I, I can't explain it. I can't. But that's what
0: I experienced. Now, Heidi had a Jewish background. But after that ex- experience, she put her faith in Jesus. She still considers herself Jewish, but she put her faith in Jesus when she realized that he was the one the Old Testament prophets had been pointing to all along. And this experience taught her that God is intensely relational. He wants a relationship with us. But the reason God doesn't force himself on us, the reason God doesn't tell everything to these near-death experiencers about who he is and what they must do is because God wants us to seek a loving relationship with him. And a true loving relationship, it can't be forced. We have to seek it out of our own free will. But that's what God wants most with you, a relationship. It's why he created you. It's why he created all of us. But God created us with with the freedom to be able to choose or refuse a relationship with him. Now, all of us at one point or another, we've chosen our own will, our own way. We've gone our own way rather than seeking God's way. But again, God's unconditional love satisfied God's justice when Jesus paid for all of our sins on the cross so that anyone who turns back to God in faith can have a relationship with him. Now, this is what Jesus was explaining to his disciples on his last night here on earth. He told them he was going away. And then he said this in John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why? Because Jesus and God the Father are one. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. See, those who seek God sincerely are seeking Jesus. They just may not realize it yet, kind of like Heidi. But at the same time, Jesus said the Father is always drawing people to himself. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 6. Jesus answered, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up. On the last day, it is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the father and learned from him comes to me. And that's like Heidi's experience. She heard the father, she was seeking him, and she came to know Jesus as the savior. But Jesus also said this in Luke 10, but whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. In other words, if someone hears all of this, and isn't even willing to consider all this evidence for what God has done through Jesus, that we can know God in a way that we can relate to, if they hear all of that and they just blow it off, then Jesus says, in reality, you're just blowing off God. You're not really wanting to know or seek God at all. Now, next week, when we talk about the life review, we're gonna talk about how we were meant to go through life in relationship with God. In fact, have you ever wondered, what's my purpose? Well, we're going to talk about how you can know and live out your purpose next week. So you don't want to miss that. But let me end with this. Practically, how do we live this stuff out? Well, again, if you remember the Lord's Prayer, we talked about this last week. Jesus taught us to pray, Father, your will be done. Your will be done through me on earth as it is in heaven. So, if God is light and love and personal and relational, how can we live those things out? Well, the first step would be this you've got to start a relationship with God if you don't already have one. You know, maybe this is all brand new to you. If so, take the time to seek out the truth. God says you will find Him if you seek Him. And I'm telling you, the evidence for Jesus is overwhelming if you'll search for it. And maybe you're ready to have that relationship with Jesus right now. If so, I'm going to give you a chance to enter into a relationship with him when I pray in just a moment. But there's nothing you have to do. It's a free gift God offers. He simply asks you to trust in Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life. And the moment you put your faith in Jesus, God adopts you into his heavenly family. And nothing can separate you from him. Second, I would encourage you to grow in friendship with God. I mean, start discovering more about who God is by by reading the Bible. I recommend get a modern translation, read the teachings of Jesus, starting in the book of John. You know, if you've accepted this free gift of a relationship with God, God didn't mean for it to stop there. He wants you to grow as a friend of his. You know, back in the Old Testament, the Bible says that Abraham trusted God and God called Abraham his friend. Now, what does that look like? Well, All friendships develop with time spent together and trusting one another more and more. So do you spend time with God? Do you invite him into different moments throughout your day? Do you read the Bible to know more about him, to know more of his promises? And then do you trust those promises? See, the more you trust him, the more you're going to see God involved in your life. And the more you're going to realize, I am a friend of God. And then third, Let me encourage you to bring the light and love of heaven to earth. Begin to ask, even this week, God, how can I show more of your light and your love to the people around me, to my family, my neighbors, uh, people online, my coworkers? Maybe you haven't seen them in a while. Reach out to them. And how can you bring light, right? We live in a dark world, people. I'm hearing more and more people right now who are feeling isolated, alone, depressed, anxious, even suicidal you can bring light and hope to them. You know, God used people like Ananias. Remember him? He was the guy who shared the good news with the Apostle Paul. And God nudges people like us to go to others and show and tell. Show the love of God and tell them about the love of God. You know, invite someone to check out these messages on Sunday or anytime during the week at hillcountry.life. Encourage them to think about what happens after this life. And to check out this sermon series, maybe have them go back and listen to the beginning, right? Listen to each week, all the past messages. You could even start a small group at your home, you know, maybe via Zoom, go over the discussion guides that I post online every week. People, you can do it. You and I, we can bring the light and the love of God personally and relationally to the world around us. So let's do that this week pray with me. God, I want to thank you that you have not left us in the dark. You have been revealing your great love for us all along for thousands of years. But God, forgive us because the truth is we get so consumed with our own will and our own ways that sometimes we, we forget about you. We don't always seek you. But I want to thank you that you have made it so easy to come back into a relationship with you. And for anybody right now, maybe you're here and you're, you're listening to me and we're praying right now and you want that relationship with Jesus. If that's you, just in the quietness of your heart, wherever you are, simply say to him, Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner, that I don't live up to your perfect standard. But I believe you sent your son, Jesus, to come to this world, to live the perfect life I could not live and to die on a cross for my sins. And I believe he rose again on that third day. And I believe that he is willing to give me forgiveness and eternal life. And so I am putting my faith in Jesus and Jesus alone, not in anything that I'm going to do, not in anything else. I'm just saying, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me and giving me eternal life. And I'm trusting in you. And Lord, for those of us who have already put our faith in you, I pray that this message would be encouraging and inspiring, that all these passages about you being light and love, they're real, that you truly are beyond amazing, You're astonishing. You're going to overwhelm us with your light and your love. And I pray that we would begin to delight in that and look forward to experiencing that in person. And in the meantime, that we would try to shine that same light and that same kind of love to those around us. And that we would encourage others to enter into a relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.